Good morning again. I uh, realize I didn't introduce myself, but my name is Alex Barron. I'm the campus pastor here. And uh, usually uh, you see me during the message, but today during the child dedication, uh, we had the unique opportunity to celebrate. And so uh, hello again. And I'm continuing a message series that we started last week called Caught in the Undertow. And if you see the image there, there's a kind of a huge wave of everything Christmas. Now, this isn't wrapping paper. And usually what you see on a gift bag, but Christmas very much of the time can feel like this, where there's so many things that we have going on in our mind when we think of Christmas that it can just feel like this pressure and current and like a wave that can like fall on us. And so uh, over the the next few weeks, what we've been we're planning on talking about is just how these different waves come and what is the current that's in each of these waves. And so last week we talked about the waves of the uh, demands on us, uh, demands that we put on ourselves, uh, demands that we uh, get from other people, and how, through a relationship with Jesus, we can actually have a new identity. And so by us meeting our demands, it doesn't mean that we're either good or, or bad, but we can actually find our value uh, in God through Jesus, not, not our own efforts. And so if you missed that, you can listen online at churchinthevalley.com. Uh, but today we're going to be talking about the waves of comparison. And during the holiday season, oftentimes there are things that can just trigger us to look at the people around us. We just can go sideways. And as you can see on the screen, the waves of comparison builds during the holidays and it boosts envy and discontent. Uh, Oftentimes joy and that feeling of excitement and anticipation, it does increase during the holidays. But kind of what deflates that and what tends to derail us over time is that in the midst of the joy, we we have expectations. We have what we'd like to see happen. We have some relationships and some get-togethers and family gatherings, all this kind of stuff. And what begins to creep in, in the midst of maybe excitement and anticipation and some joy, is we begin to look at the people around us and we start to compare. And comparison is rooted Uh, in a few different things, but at the root of comparison is just that feeling like we all want to matter, we want to be okay, we want to have value, and when we compare ourselves, we're trying to figure out, do I have value compared to someone else? Do I matter? Am I making a difference? And all that stuff, the making a difference, that's actually not bad, but what begins to derail us is that, that idea of, well, how am I doing compared to the other people around me? And so I want to spend a little bit of time talking kind of how comparison gets itself into our minds and our hearts. And last week we talked about how the wave is uh, for demands is like a chopu, a, a wave in Tahiti. It's the thickest wave in the world and demands can just weigh on us. Uh, this week I want to talk about how the wave of comparison is like a wave break at Newport Beach called the Wedge. It's actually kind of close to us, but uh, if you'll notice... Uh, There's the shore right there on the bottom left corner, and those waves at the wedge in Newport Beach break right down on the shore. And if you see the next picture there, those are crowds coming to watch people surf uh, the wedge. This is like one of the the most popular and famous body surfing breaks uh, in the entire world. Uh, The way it it breaks, it's just got some jetties and some different things where the, the water converges at once. And it just has this unique break right on the shore. And so the crowds gather. And what you have out there is people who are willing to risk their life 
but also do it in front of hundreds of people. And I want to give you guys a clip because you can kind of see uh, what this looks like. Let, let's roll. <laughs> the wedge. You can drive a little bit and you can see that yourself. Uh, at the wintertime, actually, the swell builds. And so if you ever want to take a field trip, you could go be a part of the crowd. Interesting point. When you're on the shore, you say things like, oh, yeah. But when you're in the water, you're usually not thinking that. You're thinking, oh, no. <laughs> and I, I, need to, I need to get out of here. And so I, I want to talk kind of about how comparison is, is a lot like this. Uh, we get in a place where People are watching us. We're watching people and we get in the comparison trap. And it's just like riding one of these waves where at the beginning, we're on the top of the wave and it seems like a great idea. And then as that current picks us up and it takes us, we realize, wait a second, I'm going to be crashing on some very shallow water. That's what comparison is. It kind of begins with some desires that we have. And then it takes us to a place where we end up crashing. And comparison is actually like a close cousin to jealousy. If you've ever been jealous of someone else, oftentimes that's rooted in comparison. We get jealous because we're watching other people. And so comparison begins with this this jealousy, and then it's wanting something that, that we don't have and we long for it. The Christmas season is the perfect time for you to begin to have desires for things that you now want, okay? That's why they spend millions and millions of dollars on marketing. It's to build desire in you for something that you want. So if you've ever been like, man, I wish I could have that. That's desire in you. And so desire begins. You want something. You may even long for it. Like, man, if I had that, that would make life so much easier. Uh, What desire does is over time, if we don't check our desire, uh, it it actually leads us to, to coveting. Coveting is wanting what someone else has. And so we may have desire for something that's important to us, and we see somebody who has it. And so our desire now for something that we want, we see somebody else has it, and so we begin to notice, wait, they actually have something that I want, and we begin to want what they have. So it kind of starts within us, and then it moves to our relationships with other people. Over time, this can lead to envy, and envy is is kind of a mature coveting. It's, it's kind of had time to grow and build inside of you. And that is, I covet something another person has, and resentment begins to take root because they have it. So you have something that you want. Someone else has it. You want what they have. And over time, you start to ask questions like, why do they get to have that and I don't? How come they got that in their stage of life and I didn't get that? How come they're at the place I want to be and I'm not? In all these scenarios, we 
we kind of run inside of our brain, inside of our heart. We don't necessarily talk about it with anyone else, but it just grows. It grows and it grows. Envy over time leads all the way down to jealousy. And this is the current that pulls us. And that is I envy another person and feel that my rights have been violated. Then I begin to treat them as an enemy. Now, most of the time, because this is going within you, you're not necessarily communicating this to the person. But if you've ever been jealous of somebody, there's a wall that exists between you and that person. And you find yourself not really wanting to be around them. You find yourself not really wanting to celebrate what's going on in their life. You actually want to distance yourself. And all this begins, again, back at the desire stage. So this idea of comparison We actually all deal with, and this message I'm excited about because I don't know about you, but before I know it, on any given day, I'm looking at other people and I'm evaluating my situation to theirs. And that's what we do naturally. We want to be okay. We want what we want. We want to make sure we're where we should be. We want status. We want success. And what begins to happen is we begin to look at where other people are at. And I want to show you a video that I asked uh, a mentor and friend of mine to share. And years ago, I was a part of a community group with Nathan Lewis. He's been a member of our church for many years. He's also a professor of psychology, and he's a director of a counseling uh, ministry that we have at Church in the Valley called FLBC. And he also does counseling as a profession, and he's helped many families within our church. Years ago, I was a part of his small group, and he shared some things about how surviving the holidays is crucial for you to really finding joy as you you walk with Christ. And he shared some things on comparison. And I wanted him to just share briefly from his experience as he's seen this play out in relationships and as he's counseled people, I think his perspective is is really helpful for us. So this is going to take a few minutes, uh, but I encourage you to kind of watch it and take some notes on some of the things that he says. Let's watch this together. The day after Thanksgiving, I was on Facebook and Instagram and several people have posted pictures of their trees being put up and decorations around the house. And I immediately felt some anxiety because I haven't even, hadn't even begun to think about doing that yet. And I felt this uh, compulsion to then begin to do that. And some of you have probably had a similar kind of experience where you're comparing yourself to, to somebody else and then you feel this anxiety. Comparison is a normal part of everyday life. It's so natural and we're not even aware of it, but what we are aware of is the anxiety that we feel when when we make that comparison. And we make the comparisons because we're naturally insecure. We, We want to know that we are okay. And we believe that uh, our okayness is based on some standard of okayness that that comes from other people. And so we compare ourselves to others hoping to reassure ourselves that we really are okay. But the problem with that, though, is that instead of reassuring us, um, observing and experiencing what other people are doing in comparison to us actually increases our anxiety because we will never quite measure up. There will always be somebody who has more, does more, is better, uh, is quicker than we are. So that that's a, a no-win game that we play with ourselves. And this is exaggerated a um, hundredfold during the holidays. Uh, 
studies show that stress during the holidays increases, and it's very different than stress that we experience at other times of the year. While people do report uh, it is the season to be jolly, uh, feelings of love, happiness, and high spirits, uh, it's definitely higher stress time. And people report more negative emotions as well. And they, they, they have the Clark Griswold syndrome from Christmas vacation where everything has to be perfect for their families. Uh, but they experience emotions uh, like fatigue, stress, irritability, uh, bloating, sadness, anger, and loneliness. And basically, what happens is that the combined stresses of the holidays, increased expectations, working long hours, fighting traffic in crowds, finding time to fit shopping in, they, they act like, I, I, I think about in Christmas vacation when, when the Griswolds find that perfect tree and the lights shine on it, this big giant spotlight shines on it, and the hallelujah chorus plays. That's kind of what I think of when what the stresses do. The stresses are like a big spotlight on us that reveals and exaggerates the worries that we already have uh, and face every day. And that includes comparing ourselves to others. Several things can trigger that comparison during the holidays. Receiving a Christmas card the day after Thanksgiving from, from families. Um, the neighbors decorating the house. Some getting invited to, not getting invited to a party that other people get invited to. People talking about getting their kids expensive gifts that we can't afford and on and on and on, almost on a daily basis. And the anxiety that that produces is a problem in and of itself. But in addition to that, comparison can ignite a flame of jealousy that can lead to envy spiraling into eventually despair and jealousy is just wanting what someone else has and envy goes further than that if we entertain jealousy that that grows into envy and envy is not only wanting what they have but being really bothered and even upset that they have it and having difficulty rejoicing and, and being happy for them that they have it and if envy continues, that can spiral into self-pity, discouragement, anger, and eventually despair. So comparison can be really toxic. And, uh, there are some things that we can do, though, to, to combat comparison, since the basis of comparison is really our, our security and some sense of okayness that we have. We really need to examine the basis of our okayness. When we find ourselves comparing, then we need to stop and think, wait a minute, what, what is the basis of my okayness here? And as, as followers of Christ, the basis of our okayness really comes from what Jesus did on the cross. And what he did, the sacrifice he made, is what makes us okay. That allows us to actually choose to stop comparing. Because comparison is a choice. The Bible says it's foolish for us to compare ourselves with each other. Since God has made us okay in Christ, we need to resist the temptation to believe anything else and tell ourselves instead what, what the truth is. And 
we need to learn to be content with what we have um, and resist the temptation to base our own our okayness on what we have in, or don't have in comparison to other people. And then that will allow us to rejoice in what other people have and resist the knee-jerk response to resist or, or to resent what others have that we don't. In fact, we can even get to the point where we say out loud and to ourselves uh, that we're really, we're really glad for what people have and we rejoice with them. I, w- I wanted you to, to hear that because there's a lot of perspective of, of where, if this goes unchecked, where it takes us. And something that you realize in life is that oftentimes we have thoughts that enter our mind that we don't ever check to see if, are these the thoughts that I'm supposed to be thinking about my situation, about my circumstances, about other people? What happens is if you uncheck and you don't check and put a filter on your mind, we tend to think a lot of thoughts that that are not just neutral thoughts. They actually are taking us somewhere. Uh, For the rest of the message, I want to just highlight how Jesus helps us overcome these waves of comparison. And I'm going to be moving through a a parable that that Jesus taught. I'm going to be going pretty quick. And I want to leave you wanting more from this story. So one of the next steps today is to read the passage that I'm going over today. And I, I encourage you to do that. As you read the scriptures for yourself, you find those are the filters we need to check the thoughts that we have. And the only way that you can really apply those filters is to read the scriptures for yourself. And so I'm going to move really quickly, but I encourage you to take some time this week to actually look at the passage that I'm reading from. And so I'm I'm going to be reading from a passage in Matthew 20. And Jesus is using a parable, which is a lesson to nail home a point. And it comes right after two interactions that he had with people. Uh, The first was with the rich young ruler who had great status and wanted to know where he fit in like the kingdom of God. So he's comparing like based on my status, based on my wealth, where do I fit? And then the next interaction that Jesus had before this story was with the apostle Peter, one of his closest followers. And so Peter's asking, Jesus, I've left all that I have to follow you. Like, will I be rewarded for what I've done? And so, again, he's trying to figure out where he fits. What is he going to receive from from the Lord? And so Jesus decides based on these interactions and based on his sense of what's happening with the people around him to tell this story. And I'm going to kind of go about quickly, like I mentioned. And this is what he says. He says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. So actually go back real quick. This kingdom of heaven um, is this parable. He's saying, I I want you to know how it works in my kingdom. It's not going to be exactly like your experience. It's not going to be exactly like you see here in the, the world because it's the kingdom of heaven. This is God's ways and his priorities. And he talks about this master of a house. That's referring to God himself. So God is the master and he's providing work for all of us, responsibilities and a lot in life, what we have to deal with, what he's given us in our circle of influence. And then he goes on and he says, in going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them, he said, you go into the vineyard too. And whatever is right, I will give you. So they went going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour. He did the same. So this was a typical work day. The first group that went in in verse 1 and 2 started at 6 a.m. They were going to work 12 hours from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. And they were going to get one denarius for their work. Work hard all day, and that will be your reward. Then 
the master goes out and he finds people that are going to come work, not just at six, but he finds some people at nine. Then he finds some people at 12 and then he finds some people at three. And so he's just going out and seeing people that are idle. They have nothing to do. They're just standing around, no purpose for their life. And he says, I'll put you to work in the vineyard. And the story goes on and it says, and about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And so this is 5 p.m. And so if you could imagine this scene, these people at 6 a.m. had been working all day long and they've told they're going to get a Daenerys for their work. And they've been working hard. They've been working in the sun and people keep coming at every three hour intervals and they're joining them in their work. And you can imagine kind of what's happening. Like, okay, we've been here all day and these people are just coming now and they kind of look refreshed and rested. And I thought we were just going to do this job. And you don't really know all they're thinking, but we know how it works for us when kind of people are coming and we, we think thoughts about them and their motives and what's going to happen. And then the story continues. It says, and when evening came, so the day is over, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. So the people that worked for one hour received a denarius. And a denarius is what the people who started at 6 a.m. were going to get. I don't know about you, but this does not seem fair. Okay, something seems a little bit off and they noticed that. Now, when those hired first came, these are the tired people. These are the ones that have been working all day. These are the ones that are sweaty. They're worn out. They're ready to go home. And they said, hey, uh, we, we thought we would receive more, but each of them also received the denarius. They got the same. And it says, and on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house saying, these last worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. We've paid the price. We've worked the hardest. We've been here the longest. How come we receive the same amount of somebody who's just been here an hour? Could you imagine just the workplace if this happened in our own situation? Could you imagine? There'd be a brawl that'd be breaking out. Like, that's not fair. No way. It's not American. And this is an American. You know, so there you go. Uh, it continues. But he replied, this is the master, to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for denarius? Uh-oh, now another thing, like, yeah, but, right? We learned that at a really young age. Yeah, like I realize you say, but it's not fair. So they didn't say it in that accent. But did you not agree with me for denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. So if God is the master of the house and we're his workers, this story is saying a few things. And I just want to highlight some of them. This is a crucial, crucial story related to comparison. Now, in our own estimation and our own view, it may seem like on our standard of what's fair, this isn't right. But if you've ever said it's not fair, you actually are in the comparison trap. You're riding the wave, you're at the top, and as soon as you say it's not fair, you're beginning the downward slope to crash. Because when we're basing what's fair, it's, it's on our own view of things. It's on our own what value is and what value isn't. And we become the person who's in control. What the story is saying is we're not the masters of the house. 
We don't determine what's right or wrong or what's fair or is not. We've been given what we've been given, and we have to be faithful with that. So here's three things that I want to kind of pull out, and I'm going to go through this quickly. The first thing to avoid the pull of comparison is you need to set realistic expectations. In your life, you have expectations for everything. Tomorrow you wake up and you go to work, you have a picture of what you want to happen. It could start by what your commute is going to look like. When you get home and you interact with the people that you live with, whether it's roommates or it's family, you have expectations, how it's going to look, how it's going to go, how they're going to treat you. All of us do. What happens is we always are having this picture of what we want in life. And we actually don't know how it's going to turn out. And oftentimes those thoughts that we've not filtered are building in these expectations of what we want to see happen. And at Christmas, it's the same. The reaction of somebody, of a gift that we give them, the hope of somebody that's going to give us gifts, how this party's going to be, how our family gathering's going to go. We, we all have these pictures. We all have these expectations. When we daydream about these things, oftentimes it's how we're going to get status or how we're going to look good. If we're really honest with ourselves, we daydream like, What's this going to be to help me? And then these expectations begin to rise. And in the story, you can imagine they had 12 hours, those workers right at the beginning to think, if these guys are getting a denarius, imagine what we're going to get. And you could see they had plenty of time. They're working and more workers are coming, workers are coming. And they're working all day. Could you imagine what's going on in their mind? Like, wow, they're doing maybe some math, some calculations. Like, we've been working all this day. If they're getting a denarius, like, Maybe we're going to get 12. They're getting one for one hour. Maybe we'll get 12. And you could begin to think, like, what can I spend this on? And this is going to be great. And, and they've just all these expectations. They're talking about it all day. They had plenty of time. And that's the same for us. We have a picture of what we want to happen, what we think God should do for our situation and our circumstance. And the bottom line is we actually don't know what God needs to do because we're not God. That's his job. And so when we set realistic expectations, we're saying to God, I'm not going to daydream about what I think I deserve or status or success I think is due me. But I'm going to trust you, God, as the master of me and everything you've given me to, to make it right. Okay. Uh, the second thing from this story is to stop comparing when you start to grumble. If you say it's not fair as you look at other people in your life, that should be a warning light. Warning light, like a check engine light that goes on in your car, you know, okay, I got to go get that check. Something's wrong. When we start to grumble about other people, whether it's to others or whether it's within ourselves, that's the warning light. And it's not a check engine, it's check your heart. Check your heart because you think that you deserve something that you don't have. And when you think that, you are running away from God saying, it's, it's not fair how you've treated me. It's not fair what you've done. And we can actually build this wall of resentment to God and to others because we feel that we get ripped off. And so when grumbling begins, the best way to turn that around is to think about all that God has given you. Oftentimes we run in our relationships where we have a, a grumble list and we pull it out. And these are all the things that are happening that we're not that pleased with in our life. Instead, we need to tear that up. Realize that God is God and he's going to act right and just towards me. And we need to create a new list. And this is a thankful list. Like, what have I been given that I can be thankful for? The worker, they got the denarius. That's exactly what God and the master of the house said that they would give. 
So they got what was due them. They got what they were told. The master of the house did what was right to that person. And God will do what's right towards us. He's not going to rip us off. He's not going to bait and switch. He's going to give us exactly what is due us. And it's going to be the best and right and just thing because he is God. And from his vantage point, he knows exactly what to do as he deals with us. Now, this takes a great trust. But what happens is we focus on the grumbling. We focus on what we don't have. Instead, we need to focus on what what has actually God given me that I can be thankful for. And then the last that we can pull from this is to accept your current circumstances in faith. What you have in your life, the things that you're not that pleased with, the things that you kind of wish were different, those are actually the best things God wants to use to become more real in your life. So if you kind of have these, these things that you really want and it's not come together yet for you, if you have some disappointment and you have some jealousy, you have some grumbling, you have some discontentment, these are the areas in which God is going to show you that he is real. And it only happens as you accept that God will use what you have, even if you don't like it, to grow you. And he will use what you have to give you an opportunity to put the attention on him and what he's done. That's what our lot is. Our lot in life is a lot like these workers. They were given an agreement between them and God and work to be done. And God has given us the same. He's given us responsibilities. He's given us relationships. He's given us all sorts of things that we need to take care of. And we need to do that knowing that we have limitations. And for each of us, there's some things about our situation in life that, that we don't like. Um, I wanted to just close out with a, with a book that, that's helpful on this, and it's called The Crook in the Lot. This was written hundreds of years ago by Thomas Boston. And he writes this book based on a passage in Ecclesiastes, which says, what God makes crooked, what man can make it straight. And you read that passage, and you're like, that sounds really depressing. And then you read this book, and you're like, well, what part of the crook is mine? And, and what it is saying is, is there's things in our life, in our lot, that's, that's crook. It's, it's not straight. It's, we wish it was straight. We wish it was all neat and tidy, but there's a crook. There's, there's a little knot. There's something that doesn't fit, and it's not making our life smooth. And that's different for all of us. It could be just really hard circumstances. That's your crook in your lot. It could be something that you've done in the past that you regret. That's the crook in your lot. It could be something that someone has done to you that's caused a lot of pain. That's the crook in your lot. It could be the situation you're in right now and you wish you were somewhere else. And there's just a lot of disappointment. That's the crook in your lot. Each of us have these things in us and about us that we wish were different. And what God wants us to do is to realize that, that he can be glorified in the midst of all these little crooks, all these things, these little notches, these blemishes. He is the one that can actually be glorified through the things that we wish were different. And that happens as we accept what he's given us. So I want to encourage you. There's kind of a, a lot of things that you can pull from this, but, but think about your own circumstances. Think about the people that you're going to be gathering around over the next few weeks co-workers and family and friends. Think about all the rush of all the things that you have on, on your mind right now and begin to think, how can I 
Instead of going sideways and grumbling or being disappointed or getting into jealousy, how can I use what God has given me to be thankful and to please him? And there's some next steps that you can take, but I encourage you to to be real with yourself and the struggle that this is. This is a real pull on us. And there's a couple next steps that you can take this week uh, as the band comes up. And the first, like I said, is I encourage you to read the passage that I went through today and make some observations. Draw some more meaning out of it. It's a parable, so it has lots of things that, that you can pull from it. So just chew on it for a while. Take, take your time. And as you read through it, just ask, is there anything from this that applies to my life related to disappointment, related to jealousy, related to accepting my lot? And then the second next step you could see on here is just identify a wave of comparison Where are you comparing right now in your life? If you're going to be honest with yourself, what is it that you're kind of just getting pulled, that current, the desire, the jealousy, the envy? If you're really honest, where does that exist? Is it in a relationship that you wish you had that someone else has? Is it in success that someone else has that you wish you had? Is it in status? Think about all those things. And then just ask God, God, in the midst of these things, help me to be thankful for what I have and not compare myself to those around me. Imagine how different our Christmas could be as we gather around people if we really can, before God, be content and happy in who he has made us to be and where we are in our life. This would make a big difference. So I encourage you to just think on these things and as a church that we can move forward in this together. Let's pray. God, I, I, to bring myself to to thank you for the crooks in our lots is, is actually difficult because I know for myself, I wish my life was neat and tidy all the time. I wish that everything was together and I had everything together and I didn't mess up. And, but we are fallen people who mess up regularly, daily. And we have so many things about ourselves that we wish was different. From our circumstances, to the way we look, to our identity. But God, you actually meet us right where we are. And we can be happy and content in who you have made us. God, help us to find our identity in you and the value you place in us. And it's not based on our own works. It's not based on our own status or what we bring to the table. It's actually based on your son, Jesus, and what he's done. So God, help us as we begin to grumble, as we begin to say it's not fair. God, remind us in that moment to turn to you and to be thankful for what we have. We ask this and we need your help in the name of Jesus. Amen.